0: Today's text is found in the book of Second Peter, chapter 1, verse 16 to 21. For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he received honor and glory from our God the Father, the voice was born to him by the Majesty glory, this is my bevo- beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. We ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven for we're with him on the holy mountain and we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your heart. Knowing this first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Thank you, Anderson. Father, we do bow before you and before your word. And we would ask that your word would shine into our hearts this morning. If we have just read, let it illuminate the darkness. If there's things hidden in our hearts that need to be exposed by your word, then let it happen. If there are doubts that need to be sealed up, then I pray that you would grant a firmness of faith to those who are still struggling to understand who you are. Lord, if there's confusion about your word, I pray this morning you would grant conviction that truth would be seen in your word and that we would be able to behold wonderful, majestic truths from what we have just read and now as we consider it. And so, Holy Spirit, I pray that you would help me in speaking and us in listening so that your will can be accomplished in us this morning just as it is in heaven. And I pray this in your wonderful name, Jesus. Amen. We're going to step out of our series in Matthew and move into a consideration this morning of uh, the Word of God. We're going to think about the Bible and what the Bible is. And the question really is, is it, is it the Word of God or is the Bible the Word of man? Uh, we have uh, those, that, that central question, and they're, depending on how you answer it is, is very significant. But why are we doing this? Uh, the reason, essentially, is because we spend a lot of time in this church thinking about and focusing our attention on the Bible. A lot. Every Sunday morning at 9 a.m., David Chamberlain hosts a class downstairs that is completely devoted to listening to Scripture for an hour listening to Scripture. David Trimlin, by the way, had a wonderful birthday yesterday, and he's been, you know, David and Ruth and Andy and Gail Mills were part of the the dream for founding this church in this community in order to stay true to biblical preaching and teaching and applying the Bible in our lives. And so um, this works its way out in our life groups. Life stands for love, instruction, fellowship, and evangelism, and the I relates to instruction. It relates to the fact that we want biblical teaching and preaching uh, to be a part of the very fabric of our small groups. And so instruction is a part of of even the life group nature. We spend 40 minutes or so in a sermon every Sunday morning focusing on God's Word. And so um, we need to know what this is. What is the Bible? Why do we spend so much time focusing on the Bible? Because... We can take for granted some of the things that we spend a lot of time with, right? You spend a lot of time with your family members. They're probably the easiest for you to, to, to take it for granted and to assume they're going to be there. But what would it be like if you didn't have a Bible? Imagine for a minute your life with no Bible. or Maybe I should say, imagine there's no Bible app. <laughs> you can't look at your phone and do a quick word search and find what you're looking for. What if there wasn't any public reading of Scripture app or no Bible apps to turn to? Would your life be better or worse without the Bible? Amazingly, uh, the American Bible Society does an annual survey every year called the State of the Bible, and they ask this very question. They, They ask, what is the assumption of the Americans? Would our country be better off or worse off without the Bible, and uh, you, amazingly, uh, we see a, a trend where just a slight majority of people think that our lives would be uh, worse off if we had no Bible. Um, but what would what would be different about your life? Think about it for a second. If there's if there's no Bible, you can't tur- you can't really turn to the book. What would your life be like? Would anything change about your rhythm, what would you do? Uh, And and the survey also revealed most Americans think everybody has a copy of scripture in their own language. And that's not true. 1.5 billion people do not have access to the Bible, the whole Bible, Old Testament, New Testament, in their own language. 1.5 billion people. Of the 7,000 or so known languages, about 30% have no translation of Scripture whatsoever. That's incredible. Imagine not having any access to Scripture. What would happen? So what is the Bible? Um, What is it? Is it the, as one, uh, one critic said, is it the cunning contrivance of man? Or is the Bible the... Wonderful and wise counsel of a good and gracious God. What's your opinion? How do you answer that question? How do you answer your, your co-workers to say, what, what is the Bible? Or better yet, who wrote it? Who's the author of scripture? Answering that cre- question is incredibly important. That's what we're striving for today because there are implications however you answer the question. If the Bible is God's word, then it's completely true, it's totally trustworthy, and it's ultimately authoritative over our lives. If it's the word of man, it's none of those things. It's not completely true, it's not uh, trustworthy, and it's not authoritative over our lives. So what is it? So the passage that Anderson just read to you, and Second Peter is a little tiny book at the very back of, of your Bible, um, and I hope you can see this with me and get, get your eyes on this text, because Peter gives us four reasons why we should believe that the Bible is the word of God and not the word of man. And uh, I'm going to take you through those. So first of all, we'll start with the first one in verse 16. Let me just read that verse one more time. We did not follow cleverly devised myths when we were made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses to his majesty. The first reason to believe that the Bible is the word of God and not the word of man is because it's not a myth. Peter makes a claim, it's not a myth. And sometimes when we're guilty and when we're lying, we actually avoid actually denying it. For example, you know, who ate my soup? What soup? I mean, there's no immediate, I I didn't eat your soup, what soup? What, What soup are you talking about? Or... Uh, who, my soup, it was in the refrigerator. Who ate it? I, I, have, I didn't see any soup. right? We deny actually saying, I, I didn't eat the soup. We, we don't deny it. Peter denies that this was a myth. He says, This is not a cleverly disguised myth that we came up with. And he says, When we t- made known to you the power and the coming of Christ. All right, Peter's talking about power is a word that is often used in describing the the resurrection. And so he's, this is shorthand, the power and the coming of the Christ is shorthand for the entire gospel. The powerful resurrection of Jesus, as well as the coming of Jesus, he's here talking about not the first coming, he uses the word parousia, which is used 18 times in the New Testament in reference to Jesus, and every time it focuses on and points to his future coming, future second coming, and it never, in any of those 18 instances, referred to the past first coming. Always looks forward. So Peter's saying, when we shared to you the gospel, we weren't creating a myth. We didn't make this up because we were telling you about the Christ. And who's the Christ? The Christ is a word that means the anointed one. So he's talking about the Messiah, the one who fulfills all of the Old Testament pointing to the coming of God's anointed and chosen Messiah. He says, this is not a myth. And think about that for a second. It, it, you, you know why that criticism would be leveled against such a claim that somebody rose from the dead. That's an amazing fact. It doesn't happen very often. So we can understand why he would be criticized by saying this is all made up. But he's saying it's not a myth. Why would we make this up? And so are we, for example, if we just think about this for a moment, are we really to believe that the 11 disciples who were completely distraught and devastated by the death of Jesus were suddenly, on the night of their deepest emotional turmoil, creatively clever enough to come up with a global conspiracy that would sweep the world that is not true. 12 fishermen from Galilee, clever enough to come up with a plan To deceive the entire world? Have you ever wondered what that would have been like? I mean, did they sit around the campfire and cook up a a, a plot to deceive the entire world? I, I just wonder, what was that campfire conversation like will occasionally die for what they mistakenly believe to be the truth but I don't believe anyone would willingly die for something they know to be an intentional lie and all of them all 11 disciples died brutally for the truth that Jesus actually was resurrected from the dead James the elder was beheaded in AD 44. Philip was imprisoned for preaching the gospel and scourged and then crucified in AD 52. Matthew was impaled in Ethiopia. James the Younger was crucified in Egypt. Matthias was first stoned until almost dead and then beheaded in Jerusalem. Andrew, the brother of Peter, preaching the glory of the cross, was crucified on it and affixed to it, not with nails, but with ropes, so that his torture would endure longer, and after two days, he died. Peter was imprisoned for nine months by Nero, and then ordered scourged, and then crucified, and at his request, crucified with his head downward, because he claimed that he was not worthy to be crucified in the same way that Jesus was crucified. Jude, or also known as Thaddeus, preached in, the city, in a, Turkey, a Turkish city and was there crucified. Bartholomew went to India, preached the gospel for some season, and was eventually beaten, crucified, and then taken down just before he died and beheaded. Thomas went to India, preached, and there he was run through with a spear. Simon the Zealot went to Africa and then preached for a season, and then went to Britain, where he was eventually crucified. John the Apostle, who is the author of the Gospel of John and also the Revelation of John, is the only disciple who was not killed for the testimony of Jesus' resurrection. Would they have died such terrible deaths for what they know to be a lie? I, I don't believe that, and I believe what Peter is saying, one reason to believe that the Word of God is true, and that the, the message contained within it is because he says this is not a myth. He, he knew this was coming. He knew that there were going to be charges of accusations of false teaching, and he says, we didn't create a clever myth. And the second reason to believe that the Bible is the Word of God is because he says this is, we're based on eyewitness testimony. Look at verses 16 and 18 with me again. Peter says this at the end of verse 16. We were eyewitnesses of his majesty. If you're wondering, what is he talking about? He explains it in the next two verses. For we had, when he received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was born to him by the majestic glory... This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased we ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven for we were with him on the holy mountain. He's talking about what we call the Mount of Transfiguration. This happened just before Jesus went for the last time into Jerusalem. He went up on a mount and there he was met incredible glory. His face shone like the sun. His clothes were brilliantly white, as whiter than any bleach could get them. He encountered Moses and Elijah speaking with him. And Peter and James and John was there with him. And while they were on this mountain together, we Peter says, We heard the voice of God speaking from heaven, saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Peter heard the voice of God from heaven. We also told that when he heard the voice of God, he hit the deck. All of them, face down on the ground. Which is typically what happens when God speaks in audible ways. It's what happened in in the Old Testament. And so we see Peter here saying, "We, We heard the voice of God. We were there. He says we four times in this verse. We is the Peter, James, and John. He's not alone. Peter's not alone making up some fanciful story. He, there's four, three disciples and Jesus there along with Elijah and Moses. What an incredible encounter. And imagine for a moment what that might have been like. Peter never forgot this day. Imagine you go up on a mountain with Jesus, your, your best friend, and, and suddenly you see two dudes who have been dead for about a thousand years having a conversation with him, and while you're in awe of what's happening, suddenly you hear f- thunder from the heavens, the cl- clouds break, and, but then you understand what you hear, and you hear God affirming that your best friend is the Son of God with whom he is well-pleased. Peter never forgot that. And yet he says, This is incredible. We were eyewitnesses. This, my point here is these were written by eyewitnesses, people who were there, who saw everything that unfolded throughout the course of, of Jesus' life and his ministry. So the second reason to believe that the Word of God is true is because it is written and conveyed by eyewitnesses who walked and lived through these events. Now, the third reason comes in verse 19 which is a prophetic confirmation which is keeping in mind what I just told you about the Mount of Transfiguration, that experience, what Peter now says is even more incredible to me about why we should believe Scripture. Verses 19 to 20. And we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed to which you will do well to pay attention as a lamp in shining, a shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts, knowing first of all that no prophecy of Scripture comes from one's own interpretation. Now, hang with me for just a second. The first phrase in verse 19, and we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed, the the rest of this from to which you will do well to pay attention is a kind of parenthetical statement. So his argument is we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed. What's he talking about when he mentions the prophetic word? He's talking about all of the Old Testament more fully confirmed. What exactly does he mean? He might mean that God's voice more fully confirmed the Old Testament testimony, the prophetic word, that Jesus is the Messiah. That might be what he means. Or he might mean that the Old Testament prophetic word more fully confirms Jesus as Messiah than does heavenly voices. It could be one or the other. I think it's the second option because of what he states next in the phrase. Because he says... Prophecy does not come from someone's own interpretation. Meaning, no individual gets to determine the meaning of Scripture. Well, how can we verify what Peter heard? We have no ability to do that. We have to accept his word that he heard the voice of God. And so, but we can't verify that. But the prophetic word being more fully confirmed, you can test that. You can look at the Old Testament and see whether or not all of the unfolding prophecies came true. That's verifiable for all of us who care to study the Bible. And that's exactly what Peter then says next. He says, dig your nose into Scripture. You will do well to pay careful attention to this. Why is that significant? Because Satan can mimic divine voices. Right? We know we have an enemy with incredible power who can deceive and he comes as an angel of light. So don't pray for spiritual voices to whisper in your ear. Peter is saying, look at the Bible and you can have greater confirmation that Jesus truly is the Messiah than if you're praying for voices or even hearing them, voices from heaven. That's astonishing to me. Peter is saying, I know more fully that Jesus is the Messiah because of what the Old Testament says than from hearing a voice from heaven. That's what Peter is saying. And so I ask you, does the light of God's goodness shine in your life? Does the the lamp of the word of God shine into the dark places of your life? If you're doubting, can the Bible really be the word of God, then study it. The psalmist says this Psalm 119, 105 Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. So go and test it. Read the Bible. If you doubt whether or not Jesus is true, then read it. And those of you who do, you're already convinced. Keep reading because your faith deepens the more we dig into the truth of Scripture because it's like a light. It constantly illuminates. Psalm 19 says that God's word gives light to our eyes and makes the simple wise. If you want to gain wisdom, dig into God's word. And so the last reason to believe that scripture is true is because of verse 21. It's because of the authorship of scripture. Divine inspiration, we might say. Verse 21, no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. What is this saying? No human invention is the source behind Scripture. Or Holy Scripture. The will of man did not cause Holy Scripture to come to be. The will of God did this through the activity and the work of the Holy Spirit who moved in men to speak and to write and then carried them along as they did it, as they wrote, as they spoke. He wasn't absent, He was very present. So the fulfillment of of God's scripture comes from the power of the Holy Spirit being present. And we can investigate this. How do we know that the Bible is the word of God? Is by looking at the Old Testament and being amazed that everything that was fulfilled in the life of Jesus, all of the Old Testament pointings, messianic pointings to Jesus were confirmed and fulfilled in him, even by his enemies. And so if you're going to create a global conspiracy, how do you get your enemies to go along with that? It's, it's kind of difficult, I would imagine. And yet, what do we see in Scripture? So I want to ask you a question. How can we know that God's word is true and that we have and can have firm confidence that Jesus is God's only Messiah and that the Bible is, is true and trustworthy? Because in God's word, God said that his Messiah would be a descendant of Abraham. Genesis 12. And Jesus is a descendant of Abraham. Matthew 1. God said in his word that his Messiah would come from the tribe of Judah. Genesis 49. And Jesus was a descendant of Judah. Matthew 1. Because God said that his Messiah would be a descendant of David. 2 Samuel 7. And Jesus was a descendant of David. Matthew 19. God said in his word that his Messiah would be a sacrificial Passover lamb who would die for his people, Exodus 12, and Jesus was killed during Passover, Luke 1. Because God said that his Messiah was predicted to not have any of his bones broken, you remember Exodus 12, and Jesus on the cross as the guards were about to break the legs of Jesus, you'll discover they didn't. Why? Because prophecy was fulfilled. None of his bones were broken, John 19. God said through Moses that his Messiah would bear the curse of his people, Deuteronomy 21, and Jesus bore the curse for sin on the cross, Galatians 3. God said that his Messiah through Micah, living about 400 years before Christ, that his Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. Guess where Jesus was born? God said that through Malachi, about 500 years, that Messiah would be preceded by a forerunner, and Jesus just happened to be preceded by a guy called John the Baptist, Matthew 11. God said through the psalmist, Psalm 78, that Messiah would teach through parables. Jesus always taught in parables, Matthew 13. God said through Isaiah, about 700 years before Christ, that his Messiah would be born of a virgin, chapter 7, and we are told that Jesus' mother, Mary, was a virgin when Jesus was conceived in her womb, Matthew 1. God said in advance, through Isaiah, 700 years before Jesus arrived, that Messiah would heal the sick, open eyes of the blind, open the ears of the deaf, and Jesus did all of these things. God said through David that his Messiah would be betrayed by a close friend, Psalm 41 and 55, and Jesus was betrayed by a close friend called Judas, Matthew 26. God said in the Psalms that Messiah would be opposed by the Gentiles, and who crucified Jesus? The Romans did, Acts 4. God said through Isaiah, again, 700 years in advance, that his Messiah would be spat upon and scourged, Isaiah 50, and Jesus was scourged and spat upon, Acts 4. God said through David that his Messiah would be forsaken, Psalm 22, and Jesus cried out, you know what he said on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Fulfilling scripture. God said through Isaiah that his Messiah would be mocked and insulted and Jesus at his crucifixion was mocked and insulted by his enemies and he didn't say, hey guys, we're almost at the end of this. So could some of you just help me out a little bit and offer up some insults just so we can fulfill the prophecies? That didn't happen. God said through Isaiah, through the psalmist, that his hands and feet would be pierced. Psalm 22, Jesus' hands and feet were pierced. his enemies God said through the Psalms that the Messiah's clothes would be gambled for Psalm 22 and Jesus' soldiers who crucified him and again he didn't say hey guys just the gambling thing if you could just get that done before I die that was fulfilled God said through Isaiah that the Messiah would be crucified with transgressors and Jesus was crucified with thieves he had nothing to do with that How does that get fulfilled if the Bible is just the word of man and not the word of God? God said through Isaiah chapter 53 that Messiah would be buried with the rich. We are told in Matthew 27 that he was buried in a rich man's tomb. And God said that in the Psalms, the Messiah would rise from the dead. Psalm 16, 49 and 86. And Jesus rose from the dead on the third day. Acts 2. I could go on. Alfred Edersheim, in the late 1800s, sat down and went through the Old Testament and came up with 400 specific details about the Messiah's life that were fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Can that simply be the word of man? Or could it be the word of God? I stand before you and say I'm absolutely convinced and staking my eternal salvation on the fact that Jesus is the Messiah, and that God's word is completely true. And I plead with you, believe it. Receive this book as as a divine love letter to you and read it. Peter says you will do well to pay attention to what is written in scripture. So study it. If you're still seeking to know, is Jesus really the guy? Is this really true? Then read it and God will reveal himself to you. Pray, show me, Lord, and he will show himself to you. So why do I believe the Bible's true? I I believe it because Peter's, I don't think he's smart enough to figure out a global conspiracy, him and all these other boys. It's true. It's not a cleverly devised myth. I believe it because it was written by eyewitnesses. I believe it because of the prophetic confirmation. I believe it because it was authored by the Holy Spirit who alone has the power to do all of this stuff. That's why we spend so much time at this church, on this book, because there's nothing else better to base your life on, not a person who has a persuasive personality and is a great charismatic speaker. No, don't listen to the people who who say this book is not true. No matter how clever they are or slick they are, I, I will go to my grave pleading with you, read the book. Read the book because it has the words of eternal life and they are found in Jesus alone. He is the only name given among men whereby anyone can be saved. That is a truth for every tribe, every nation, every people, and every tongue. And I'm convinced God anointed Jesus as the the Savior and Messiah of the world. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? Do you believe this is the word of God or the word of man? Because there are implications either way. And so this whole book points us to Jesus. And I, I love him. We love him. We stood outside in the cold all day to help people get to know him and to be a constant witness in this town to, to, to the truth that, that Jesus is actually risen from the dead. We love him. And we want everybody to love him too. So we're going to worship this, this beautiful name called Jesus. Um, but would you just pray with me, Father? We're going to praise your name in just a moment. We're going to sing uh, wonderful praises to you through Jesus. And Lord, I I'm sure there are those in this room or hearing my voice that are still doubting. Is the Bible really the word of God? And Lord, I pray you pour out your spirit on those people right now to grant them the faith to believe. Edwin said it at the beginning, even the faith to believe in you comes from you. Grant that faith, Lord. Grant a repentance for sins. Grant a trust in Jesus. Because without your miraculous, wonderful, sweet working in our souls, we are, we are lost without you. And Lord, I pray that you would grant a strong conviction to those who do know you, that we, we stand on the truth, that this book, this holy book, is worth basing our lives on. If this is your word, it's true. If this is your word, it's trustworthy. And if this is your word, dear God, it's authoritative over how we live our lives. May we trust you. May we rejoice in the truthfulness of your word. And may we surrender our souls to you and let you tell us how to live. Let us be obedient, dear Lord Jesus, I pray. And may your spirit be present to grant conviction of sin, to grant humility to grant a crying out for salvation, to grant a filling of the lonely void in our hearts. So fill us, Lord, change us, save us. And all of this is only possible through that beautiful and sweet name, Lord Jesus. Amen.